Welcome back to What's On Your Mind. I'm Dr. Gene Bresson. And I'm Dr. Steve Schlossman. And we're child psychiatrists at the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds at the Massachusetts General Hospital. Here's what we'll talk about today. Hi, this is Gene Bresson. Before we get started on today's podcast, I just wanted to let some listeners know that some of the material about war might be a bit disturbing. Today we're going to be talking about post-traumatic stress disorder uh, following three wars, Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan. And we have a special guest, Arthur Segaloff, who was an explosive specialist uh, during two tours of duty in Vietnam, 1970 and 71. During the course of his uh, tours there, he won two Purple Hearts. But interestingly, he was, and I think very importantly, he was denied Purple Hearts for his post-traumatic stress disorder from which he's still suffering now, as well as traumatic brain injury. Uh, That's one issue we want to deal with is why this is happening. But maybe just as important, uh, Arthur is now working a day a week for the USO and helping young veterans who are coming back from the Middle East, and we'd like to hear from him what his experience is about them. So first, Arthur, can you give us a brief uh, overview of what you went through in Vietnam and what led to your post-traumatic stress disorder? I think the largest contributing factor for my post-traumatic stress, as we try to refer to it now, is a Vietnam vet. It's not a disorder as much as it's a fact of life, and we live with it for 30, 40 years. My uh, post-traumatic stress came as a result of uh, being middle-class, white, Jewish, from a suburban town, graduating from the University of Massachusetts, and then suddenly, within seven days, uh, receiving my draft notice from the Department of Defense. I, unlike some of my peers felt it was my honorable duty to serve my country, and I, in fact, did, even though my father placed in front of me uh, a a one-way ticket to Canada and told me that uh, his choice would be that I pick up that ticket and leave that night. I could not do that. I I was part of the social service uh, industry, uh, being an anthropology major and studying other, other cultures. I felt that I was responsible to do my duty. I went to Vietnam uh, in 1970 after uh, finishing combat engineer training at Fort Leonardwood, Missouri. Now, the, the, the side story here is I became a combat engineer because I was a college grad and they looked at my major and my major was archaeology. Well, archaeology involves digging. Digging involves combat engineers. <laughs> and it really had absolutely nothing to do with my uh, skill set. It was just the easiest thing that they could figure out. So I arrived at Vietnam and I became uh, attached to the 25th Infantry Division in a combat engineer unit. Now, what does a combat engineer do? He builds fortifications, uh, among other things. He drives, uh, he drives heavy equipment that moves soil. He uh, builds bunkers and so on and so forth. But my particular task uh, when I arrived was to do some in-country training in identifying booby traps, as we called them then, or IEDs, as they are called now. And the, the, the vast majority of my time was spent without the assistance of all the new uh, fangled equipment that's used now. Mine was basically on your stomach with a bamboo knife 
a knife made out of bamboo or a probing device and going inch by inch probing for anti-personnel and anti-tank weapons. And I actually uh, enjoyed, uh, after a while, becoming very confident and competent. Uh, I enjoyed doing this. And when the 25th Infantry Division rotated back home, I did not have enough time in country, and I went to the 101st Airborne in the DMZ. That is where I did the bulk of my combat engineers. In fact, on one particular day, one mission that lasted about four hours, which I received an Army Commendation Medal for Valor, I personally uh, compromised, defused, and eliminated 226 booby traps. So uh, what, what do you think gave you the PTSD? How did you acquire the PTSD? Um, if you could just give us a picture about that. Yeah, you know, the quick answer to that is I was too intelligent for my own good. The vast majority of the military were young draftees, young men uh, who sought a better life by uh, getting a forged signature indicating that they were 17. Uh, I actually had a young African-American in my unit that was 15, married with two children. Those things you never really discussed with the higher-ups. As long as he could pull his weight in the field, that's all that mattered. But to elucidate, and what I'm trying to say is the post-traumatic stress was brought on by not knowing what was going to happen from day to day, not knowing who the enemy was. Was the woman who swept your hooch out in the morning, uh, was she actually a VC, a Viet Cong, at night? Down south, it was all 100% guerrilla warfare, the Viet Cong. When I transitioned up north to the DMZ, it was about 90% North Vietnamese regulars. So we were fighting an actual standing army supported by the Chinese, communist Chinese, and the Russians. And I think it's a little-known fact how much uh, North Vietnam, Vietnam was supported by these two countries. Part of my problem is that the booby traps and the IEDs might be built in Cuba, might be built in Czechoslovakia, might be built in China. Uh, I worked with uh, degraded World War II devices, the French-Indochina War devices, our own American devices, which were insidious, and they still are today. So not knowing what was going to happen the next time I probed or the next mission I went on, um, in fact, the mission that I received, the Bronze Star for Valor, was a mission. I was on my 52nd combat assault, and uh, the helicopter I was on was shot down. And myself and one other individual were the only two that survived. So that, that would be part of my post-traumatic stress. My post-traumatic stress would be triggered by the sounds in the night, the uh, horrific deaths. I think the way young men died it was cruel. Uh, you needed to prepare yourself. You got to the point where you became totally desensitized. When they brought someone in for me to identify with only one-third of the torso left, uh, that's an image that you never forget. When, it, when a helicopter uh, flies into the side of a mountain and you have to retrieve 60 remains 
and uh, you reach for a tree so you don't slide down the hill and you actually slide your hand because it's covered with uh, internal organs uh, and intestines. There are things that happened in Vietnam that still affect me to this day. One would be racial uh, differences, uh, white versus black, south versus north. Once we were out in combat, there was never an issue. We were all covering each other's six or we were covering each other's back. But back in the rear area, after a couple of beers, your normal uh, socialization kicked in. So trying to get my mind around that story. So, so two things come to mind. First of all, I, I, you know, there's the obvious thank you for, for being here today and also thank you, for, you know, thank you for your service, which always sounds like a cliche, but I think is, is worth saying. The way you, you remember these things is with such detail. It, it's as if we're there. And so, so it leads me to the, the thing I want to make sure our listeners get. The, the manifestations, the way you experience PTSD – um, what is it like when you experience a PTSD? Like you remembered that, like exactly, like like that was a movie scene you just described. Except unfortunately, it wasn't a movie; it was real. What do you experience today? At the height of my PTS, and sort of the beginning of my therapy uh, with Doctor Berezin, I um, exhibited all of the manifestations of post-traumatic stress disorder. I had night sweats. I had uh, nightmares. I had to stop sleeping with my wife in the same bed because when I lashed out, she invariably got hit in the face or on the side of the head. So we've decided for the last 20 years to sleep in separate beds. That is post-traumatic stress. That's a manifestation. That's a a coping skill, not being able to uh, sleep with your wife or your loved one. I think in the last 35 years, my post-traumatic uh, stress has gotten better because the doctor has allowed me the ability to develop coping skills and to develop skills that help me defend myself from uh, mental harm, physical harm, and being able to uh, have a relationship with other people. Uh, the biggest post-traumatic stress uh, manifestation for me is solitude. For many years, including, including uh, now, uh, until my wife last summer threw out the chair, I would sit in a chair looking out the window. I love to look at the birds. I just didn't want to go outside. I still to this day don't want to go outside. I don't want to deal with people. The triggers are there. And uh, it's, it's, it's difficult to know when they're going to occur. Someone, you're standing behind uh, someone in, a, in a, a supermarket and they don't have enough money so, to pay for the order. So the uh, cashier has to start putting things back and getting a credit and so on and so forth. I just want to get the hell out of that supermarket. There's a job. There's a task. I want to complete it and move on to something else. So, Arthur, you know, you've done so much better. I mean, you're so courageous, I have to tell you. I mean, we worked together for a long time, uh, but you have gotten out. And what I'd like to do is, if you'd like, just switch gears a little bit to get your impressions about these young men and women who are coming back from the Middle East. Because you've spent a lot of time doing volunteer work for the Red Cross and for the USO. Can you give, give us a picture of what's different or similar 
between oh, the, abso- the, the, these, these youth that are coming back now from the Middle East? Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, if I had to uh, generate a list, and in a sense I will, uh, number one is the fact that you have a preponderance of fe- female veterans. At some point in time, there were maybe four or 5,000 military jobs that were closed to women. Now they're even training to become army rangers, the elite. Now they fly planes. They fly fighter jets. They uh, go into villages as part of a, uh, a, a psychology uh, group, uh, women and, and the soldiers to protect them, to talk to the women of the village. I have found through interviewing the uh, guests that the biggest difference between Vietnam and this would be number two on my list, the biggest difference between Vietnam and uh, Iraq and Afghanistan is multiple, multiple, terrible, deadly deployments. In Vietnam, the expression was one and done. You did your tour and that was it. And uh, you were never asked to come back. I can't tell you the hundreds of 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds that aren't even mentally capable of uh, of uh, handling one tour. They've done four tours. Again, you know, so there's these pauses because we're trying to get our, our mind around this. And, you know, I'm always thinking of the fact that my now 15-year-old daughter remarked to me a couple of years ago, Dad, we've, we've been at war for as long as I've been alive, which, which was an interesting thing for me to think about because even, you know, I, I didn't have that experience growing up and nor did folks during Vietnam. So this has been a prolonged experience. That's what you're getting at. What do you, what do you think we can do to, to help these, these folks? The young people are being underserved. The VA, and this is just uh, an observation, not a uh, not a, a comment on my part, but I think the the VA is overwhelmed. They're not going to get sufficient funding because they will there will not be any bipartisan support. You have hundreds of thousands. It's estimated that one out of three Afghanistan and Iraq veterans come back with post traumatic stress disorder. It's also a known fact through research that I've uh, done and read that three times the amount of possible potential suicide as a result of long-term suicide ideation between Vietnam and the current two conflicts, there's 300% greater uh, opportunity or chance for that. The, the veterans' care is not like Vietnam because Vietnam was 95% draftees and, and volunteers and only 5 or 10% reserves and National Guard. Now it's been completely reversed with Iraq and Afghanistan. 40% of all deployed troops are reservists or National Guard. So, so, one, so you've mentioned a number of things, and, and these are just so striking. I can understand the fact that they are uh, the multiple tours, uh, much more time in in combat zones, perhaps many more booby traps, IEDs, that they have to experience on a day to day basis. That's that's understandable to me. What's what I, I'm curious about is why did you mention women, or women? Because women generally are more responsive to stress and more resilient to stress than men are. 
is there a particular vulnerability that you see that might be more might make for more women with PTSD? That's, that, you know, that's an excellent point, and it's and it's unfortunately largely ignored by the therapeutic uh, community and and to a certain extent the Department of Defense. Uh, women are victims of sexual traumas, physical abuse. It's rare that a woman will uh, complete her 20 years in the military without being sexually abused or physically abused. Are you including harassment in that? Harassment, well, that's a given. That's an absolute given. You start with harassment. You start with an 18-, 19-year-old impressionable young lady who looks up to her drill sergeant, who's a 30-year-old male who's been in 15 years, and he's taking advantage of the vulnerability of the young lady. And, and I have found that the young ladies suffer from not only combat-related guilt, but personal trauma. The trauma that they suffered, which they take to them, they keep with them for as long as 20 years. And their sexual abuse and physical abuse is so highly intrusive on a daily basis that it's a it's it's I would be shocked if a young lady came back from Afghanistan or Iraq or did more than the 4 years uh, duty in the military and not have severe post traumatic stress so so what we can say I guess is you know this this podcast and this discussion it could go twenty five different directions we could we could talk about the the risk to self harm i mean the fact that actually the medical care in the field is better means that more people live having seen traumatic horrific things which puts them at greater risk. We know there's more women serving we know that that uh, those women because of the added sexual harassment are at increased risk and i'm just sort of summarizing here we know that the symptoms of of nightmares uh, constriction, emotional numbing, and hypervigilance. They make sense. They're an adaptive response to an unnatural setting, which is which is war. Absolutely. Um, and then it doesn't work, obviously, when you come back home. That's where these folks need help. And and I think you know, as we wrap up here, it's, it's worth our taking a moment to think about how we can fix our system so that we can better care for uh, these people who are going to need us for the years to come. Yeah, and, and I I think we also need more information. I mean, what you know, uh, I, I, I it's it's surprising to me to hear this about. It's not surprising to me to hear this about the sexual harassment because we've heard some of this on the news. But it is surprising to me to hear from Arthur and his personal experience week after week at the USO about how many of these women and are reporting this. And the question is, are they just reporting this be, to you because you're a nice guy and you're a counselor and you've been there and done that and they're not going to seek help? I just don't know whether we're even collecting data or information to know I, who I, we help. Exactly. I don't think the data is being collected because it's too frightening. The truth hurts. We're totally unprepared. And the the anecdotal data sometimes is more valuable than the intrinsic uh, or the quantitative value. When I have When I'm sitting down and I'm asking someone, can I get them a hot drink or a cold drink? And then they they lean on my shoulder and start weeping uncontrollably. I mean, I don't need to to have any statistics. (laughs) I need to intervene and try to help this young lady. And what she's basically doing is she came to the VA to get psychiatric help. Yeah. Well, uh, we could go on and on. And and first of all, I want to thank Arthur for being so candid and so bold in your your, uh, statements. 
Um, I also want to extend my own appreciation and our country's appreciation for the veterans that actually have endured such um, uh, such you know horrendous experiences, but also in the service in the service of the protection of our country. And um, you and the others, you know, we owe you a great debt. So, on that note, I want to thank you all for listening. If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to uh, post them on- online. I'm Gene Bereson. And I'm Steve Schlossman. Thanks. <laughs>